So it is 39 degrees currently in Barrington, Rhode Island. No, this isn't the weather report. Stay with me. The weather in Buffalo, New York tonight is going to be absolutely frigid. And those who know me well know that I would wear shorts in a lot. I wouldn't dare wear shorts in wow. zero degree conditions in Orchard Park, New York. So I don't believe that you. begs the question, what is the absolute coldest temperature that you would wear shorts in without getting bribed for monetary value? Like on my own? Yes, on your own. I'd say anything above 40, I'd consider it. I did the other day and it was like 45, but once you start getting into like 30s, sweatpants. I'll say this, if I'm going to the gym and it's 35, I might just put shorts on because I don't want to go through the pants hassle, but I think 40 to 45 is sort of the, the benchmark. Wow, I mean... Common, common gym goer, Joe Puccio. <laughs> I've worn... <laughs> I wore pants for the first time this season a few days ago when it got into the teens because my limit is 20 degrees absolute when you don't even factor in wind chill. Although, if I'm... If I'm going to be outdoors for a long period of time, like say if I'm skiing or going to a Pats game, then I'll throw on sweatpants. But I mean, if I'm wearing I, I, be... I, I love how skiing in snow is what it takes you to put sweatpants on. Like the fact yeah, right. that you consider to, to ski in shorts is a wild concept. No, no, I'm not. I mean, if it were 50 degrees, we were going on thick snow, I'd consider because I'd be sweating my butt off. The concept oh, of lean snow does not apply to lean grip. Built different. Uh, some would say that, and we do have two absolutely built different guys here to talk NFL playoffs, Black Monday, all the drama with it. BT Reed, Joe Pooch, what a crew today. Oh, we have a live studio audience again? That's incredible. Great stuff. We always have a live studio audience, Pooch, you knew that. Oh, I do. Oh, I do. And we're all rocking jerseys. BT Reed is rocking a Philadelphia Eagles jersey. We won't talk about Pooch's. I'm rocking my Edelman jersey because it's almost game. It's it's almost game day. It's been packed. Who, who do the Patriots play, Liam? Mm, I wonder who. Yeah, that's who, right. Hey, who do the Bills play, Pooch? The New England Patriots. I'm well aware of our oh, opponent. Oh. Well aware of who we're playing. Funny how that worked out. All right, let us get right into it. We're going to begin talking about week 18. And we begin in Jacksonville where Jaguars fans dressed up as clowns, but I don't think they were clowning their own team. No, no, no. They were clowning the Indianapolis Colts, who were in a win-and-get-in scenario. Instead, they completely wet the bed, fall to Jacksonville, 26-11. to Questions about BT Reed's boy Carson Wentz have arisen as a result of this game. So, when you look at this game as a whole, who is to blame? Give me one person to blame within Indianapolis. Um, yeah, I think it's pretty easy to go the Carson Wentz route, and that's fair. Um, it stinks a lot, and you mentioned it, Liam. This guy really – I don't know I, I don't know if I'd go as far to say as it had a resurgence this year. Definitely played better than he did on a four-win Philadelphia team last year, but had a better season than he did last year. And credit that to Jonathan Taylor, an improved offensive line, being back with Frank Reich. He's played a lot better, and this team was in a position to go to the playoffs, and I think they were for like two or three weeks – Prior to that game, they had a chance to and just didn't get it done. But, yeah, look, Carson Wentz pooping the bed in big scenarios. It's not new news. This has been going on. It's not nitpick. This has been going on for years now. And does he shrink in the big moments? Sure. Is it have other factors played a role? Yeah. But he had a chance to silence some of those doubters and go to the playoffs and on his own back um, and fail to do so. So I blame him. Yeah, I mean, I'm not really going to point a finger at one particular person. I mean, Braden is, like – 
you can obviously point the finger at Carson Wentz. You've seen him play over the last couple of years. My thing is that I just think this Colts team is a very young team. We saw them last year go to the playoffs under Phillip Rivers. But once you change that quarterback and you have the first breakout season of Jonathan Taylor and, and that stout defense, it's sort of the quote unquote first year under Frank Reich. And I just think that this team needs a little more experience to get over that hump. They played some phenomenal football. I mean, William and I know it. They ran through the bills and they defeated new England when they needed to win. That's the Colts team that I think we will see next year. But that resiliency, that long-term strength, they didn't have it in Week 18. And it's just because they are a young team. They had that win and they're in sort of knife hanging over their head, and they didn't get the job done. So I'm not going to point the finger at one particular person. Obviously, Wentz didn't play the way he needed to, but I just think the team just needs a little more experience for them to be uh, a perennial contender year in and year out. Okay, so I'm actually going to compare this situation to something that we all know very well, and it draws out of the 315 Syracuse, New York. So November 29th, 2021, I'm going to read a tweet to you. We lost our last game, Pitt 31, Syracuse 14. I'm not pleased with the outcome of the game or the play calling. I wanted to do so much more, but I don't call the plays. Good luck to all the seniors moving on. Sounds like Braden after I beat him in NCAA. Oh, yeah, yeah. In In that particular game, I believe Sean Tucker, who was arguably the top running back in college football this past season. Unless I'm mistaken, he got a grand total of 12 carries that game. And I know Pitt's defense did a good job on him, but 12 carries is simply too little for a guy of his caliber. Jonathan Taylor only had 15 carries in the game Sunday. And I know Indianapolis's defense didn't do them any favors, but some of this has to go on Frank Wright because when you have Jonathan Taylor, the best running back in football not named Derrick Henry, only getting the ball 15 times, something just doesn't add up, especially in a win-or-go-home game like this was for the Indianapolis Colts. You know, I think you bring up a great point, but how I see this, right, the Colts have had the rushing attack all season long. The knock on them is they haven't moved the football well in the air. Win or go home, right, you kind of want to stick to your guns. When you're going up against Jacksonville Jaguars, their pass defense isn't that great. They defend the run pretty well because they have a stout group of defensive linemen. They have had it since about 2017. You kind of want to see what you have out of Carson. But Wentz. but but remember, the Colts have arguably the best O-line in football. And they do. if you're going up against Jacksonville, who granted has an excellent D-line, you should be able to at least neutralize them to create holes for Jonathan Taylor. And get this, Pooch, he averaged 5.1 yards per carry. Every two plays, that gets you a first down. You're right. But that's that's just the law of averages, right? I mean, I, I agree with the sense that 12 carries isn't enough for a guy like Jonathan Taylor, who, in my opinion, was the best running back in football this year. But I do see what Frank Reich was doing. Carson Wentz hasn't moved the ball in the air. If the Colts made it to the playoffs, let's say they are the sixth seed. They're going to Buffalo. Or they're the three seed, and they're going – or excuse me, they are the, um, uh, the seventh seed, and they're going to Kansas City. What are you going to do in that situation? I mean, it's it's you have to adopt two sides of an offense at some point. The Colts hadn't had that aerial attack this season. And in all honesty, I just think that the Colts wanted to see what they had out of Carson Wentz. But it didn't work out. The whole, it backed I mean, if, but the thing is, Pooch, if they were going to Buffalo, that's not only a place they won in. 
that's a place they dominated in this past year. So, I mean, and it's hard to beat a team twice in a year. I learned that the hard way. But you have that experience. Use it. It's a fair point. I can't disagree with that. But I just think that I just think if you want to test out what you have out of Carson Wentz, you go up against the Jacksonville Jaguars. But it's fair. the whole but fair. the the thing is is that it's not the time to test anything new out. It's do or die, win or go home. You should have done this weeks ago when you played Jacksonville the first time. Yeah, Liam, you make a good point. That's what I was going to say in response to Joe as well. And another thing is that Indy got down in this game. They were down 13-3 at the half. That's not a huge deficit, only 10, but it ended up being like 26-3 at some point in this game, and the Colts scored late in the fourth quarter. It didn't really matter at that point. So the point being is they got behind in this one, and when you get behind, you can't run the football as much. And I understand your guys' point that Taylor is fantastic. you got to feed the guy the football. But at the same time, they're trying to get get back into a game. Maybe you didn't expect this. You're a bit rattled. You want to throw the ball a bit more. It's not going to take as much time off the clock. It's just the tried-and-true formula. So Taylor is obviously not, not going to get the ball as much. So – Another thing is Jacksonville 100% came into this game saying we will win this game. Or at oh, least this was this was their Super Bowl. This was their Super exactly. Bowl. Exactly. If we if we stop Jonathan Taylor, we give ourselves a shot. And it took a while for teams to figure that out. But when you surround your entire defensive game plan around stopping a running back like the Jaguars did in this game, you're going to have success doing so. And if you can do that enough to the point where Frank Reich says, hey, hey, let's go away from this and throw the ball a bit more, you're in a good spot because we all know that Carson Wentz is not built for these big moments. He showed us that multiple times over the course of his career. All right, well, moving into the other AFC games that were this past weekend. Early in the day, it was the 1 o'clock set. Pittsburgh beat Baltimore on a field goal. And with the Indianapolis loss, they were in a good position. They needed the Raiders-Chargers game to end, not end in a tie. Excuse me. By God, did that almost happen. The Chargers pulled off a 15-point fourth-quarter comeback to send the game to OT, and it was tied 32-32. It looked like the Raiders were complacent with a tie, but a questionable decision by Brandon Staley to call a timeout allowed Vegas to get a 10-yard runoff. That was a much more makeable field goal for Daniel Carson. Raiders in, Steelers in, Chargers out. So, Pooch, we'll start with you on this one. What are your overall takeaways from that whole fiasco? Because... Week 18, the first ever Week 18, certainly delivered. I mean, did the NFL expect that at all? They came up with this Week 18 plan. Players are like, no, we don't want to play another game. And the NFL's like, well, we're playing this extra game, whether you like it or not. When I first heard that, I said, money grab, right? Of course. Of course the NFL can play another game, because they can't. But, oh my God, that was unbelievable how everything panned out i didn't know going into that week 18 that the times of the games were just going to be created after monday night football of week 17 i was like that's perfect so they set up all of these games to happen in succession pittsburgh does their job they go they go to baltimore could have been big ben's last game he goes on a, a game-winning overtime drive to beat his longtime rival on the road you have division battles everywhere and it all sets up that Sunday night football game where it just can't end in a tie. It can't end in a tie. We all want to see it end in a tie, but it can't end in a tie. And it almost ends in a tie. It, I mean, I cannot, you cannot write a better script than this. You cannot tell a better story than this. Week 18 of the NFL was playoff football. And if it's going to be like this year after year after year, it make the NFL, it makes the NFL the what if league. What if the Colts have a stinker against the Jaguars and it sets up all of these scenarios. What if 
the the Pats have to beat the Dolphins, but the Dolphins end up beating the Patriots, so the Bills beating the Jets doesn't even matter. What if the Rams lose a game to the 49ers, which they probably should have won? It was awesome. It was unbelievable, and I really hope that for the next, I don't know how many years, they keep this Week 18 thing. I think it should stick around for a long time. I think it's going to stick, and I got to admit, I 100% agree with everything that Joe just said. At first, when it was announced this season, as a stat nerd, I was pissed off, and we saw it this year. Like, everyone was breaking every single statistic, and you can say what you want about it. Like, Devontae Smith breaks the rookie receiving record for the Eagles. That's great, but, like, played an extra game than Deshaun Jackson did. So, I don't know. That part of it stinks, but what Joe said, just the pure fun of it, I guess, is the best way to put it simply, is it was so much fun watching that game on Sunday night, knowing the implications and the NFL having the chance to schedule the times of those games, depending on playoff outcomes, stuff like that was really, really cool. But Justin Herbert, man, fourth down, Justin oh. Herbert might be like top five players of all time. Some of those conversions he was picking up was unbelievable. Like some of those throws is this kid is built for the moment. This kid is big time. I don't know where you want to rank him, but he has certainly placed himself in the top 10 conversation, maybe even top five, depending on who you ask. But man, this Chargers team, not going to the playoffs this year, but they were a lot of fun to watch, and I'm excited to see what they do in the future. Let me interject quickly here. I mean, I agree entirely with your Justin Herbert take, but that's what makes the NFL so special because you look at uh, Major League Baseball with game 162. They play those games at the same time so that teams can't throw a game or teams can't you know, know their situation as the game happens. And it's like, okay, cool, but like, what if? I mean, what if teams did know that? The NFL said... We're going to schedule these games so that teams don't know what they have to do. And then they figure out once they have that 820 kickoff between Chargers and Raiders, hey, we can just kneel this entire game out and both get into the playoffs. That would I have thought, been awesome. That would have been so cool. I, I disagree wholeheartedly, Braden. I disagree wholeheartedly, Braden. <laughs> Liam hates fun. Liam hates fun. I've said it time and time again. It was. It's fun to think about, but at the same time, I would have lost a lot of respect for both head coaches and why you're playing to win you guarantee yourself a spot in the playoffs how is that not playing to win but here's why here's why if the Raiders had tied they would be going to Kansas City and instead they're going to the jungle and as good of a team as Cincinnati is who would you rather play round one the Bengals or the Chiefs no it's 100 it's fair Liam but at the same time hindsight's 2020 like the Raiders are in now they're playing who they're playing and that's determined. But you look back at the start of that game, the Raiders don't know if they're getting into the playoffs or not. It's still have, like that relies on this one game. So if you go to Rich Passaccia and you say, you have you 100% have a chance to get into the playoffs if you do this, he'll be like, hell yeah, I'll do it. And then you tell him that it's kneeling down. He'll be like, okay, maybe I won't do that. But I don't know. It was tough for me. Maybe not the whole game, but for when you get to overtime, I was banging the table for it on that last drive I was too because you never know in some of those scenarios. Josh Jacobs could fumble. They could mishandle the kick and Chargers run it all the way back and now you're saying man we should have kneeled it so hindsight's 2020 I maybe not kneel out the whole game but you get to overtime maybe consider it uh, that's why the Brandon Staley the, timeout was yeah like unfathomable because it's like yeah. oh my god they're at the 50 with six seconds left like they're not gonna go for this it, it, there's no chance they're gonna score here so just tie and both get in the playoffs that's when I was like clamoring for the tie like come on this is when it's gonna happen um, so, also, yeah, I thought week 18 was just it was a cherry on top of an awesome NFL season. Okay, and so I want to talk about the Chargers first because I have two points to make here. Number one, I don't think you can pin the entire Chargers season on Brandon Staley calling that timeout. And here's why. It's because the Chargers have 
multiple bad losses. 28-13 to against the Broncos in Denver. That Chiefs game on Thursday Night Football is one of the biggest choke jobs of the NFL season. Then the week after that, they lose to the Houston Texans. That's it. That's it. If you lose to the Houston Texans, you don't deserve to be in the postseason. And another thing is that this this game shook up the playoff picture. Oh, Titans, by the way. Sorry? Oh, that's to the Titans, by the way. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. So, if this game had ended in a tie, New England would be going to Cincinnati, uh, the Chargers would be going to Buffalo, and the Chiefs would be going to play the Raiders. Pooch. Who would you rather face this weekend, solely based from a football perspective? Because we've got the rivalry, so that adds a different layer to it. But putting that aside, would you rather have played the Chargers or the, or the Patriots? Oh, the Chargers, 100%. Exactly. And I'm sure... I'm not trying to gas you up here, because I know you just smiled inside and got like really happy that I said the Chargers. But I'm going to tell you this. Playing the Patriots for a third time, you, you pick up on tendencies, and you can sort of exploit the things that... Um, worked for them in previous games. When you're playing against a brand new opponent, especially a team like the Chargers, you you can throw looks at them that they haven't seen before and that are maybe your most most reliable stuff. And you know you can you can say the whole oh well then the Chargers they play in L.A. they go to snowy Buffalo. I don't care about the weather. The Bills play like they play like crap in the weather anyway, so it doesn't even matter. Um, my point is that I wouldn't want to face. I would rather face a Brandon Staley and Justin Herbert squad than a Bill Belichick and Mac Jones squad that won seven games through the middle of the season. Now, granted, the Patriots have played terribly after that, and they lost a division they should have won, but I would still have to pick the Chargers just because they're a younger team and they have a less experienced head coach, and they would be going up to Buffalo, a place they hadn't played in. And in that scenario, Cincinnati would be playing Vegas, and I'll ask Brayden this. You're the Cincinnati Bengals. Would you rather play... The Raiders or the Patriots in the wildcard game? Come on, Liam, you can answer that question. Exactly. Raiders, 100%. Exactly. After, like, the Patriots. I'm trying to gas up the Pats here. It's ridiculous. No, no, I'm, no, I'm Liam, saying. Liam just teed it up for no, us to gas up. I'm just saying, like, right? it opened up an entirely different portal, and it's the same thing with Vegas. Would you rather play Kansas City or Cincinnati? You're going to take Cincinnati every time, even though the Bengals are a very good team. And then right. in Kansas City's case, it's would you rather play the Raiders or the Steelers? I think most Chiefs fans would say this. Chiefs fans, excuse me, would say the Steelers. I know that's a bit of a mess, but I'm just trying to make it clear that there were infinite number of possibilities that could have happened, and that decision to call a timeout may have just altered it. And another group I want to sort of lash on here: the Chargers' defense. You know they're running the ball. How do you let them pick up ten yards on that play? Do you know they're running the ball, though? Because you call a timeout, they get reset, and maybe you're thinking this team throws the ball and tries to get do you, the field Do going. you really think Derek Carr would have risked throwing an interception to, I don't know, let's go with Derwin James, who's got lightning speed and could run it back to the house in a flash? Well, dude, if you are if you call a timeout and the Raiders get reset in that scenario, maybe you're thinking on your sideline and this team is going to go for it and try and, set it, just try and set it up for a field goal. I mean – that's... We're we're playing the we're playing the shoulda woulda coulda game. Yeah, exactly. You know, like, we can always look back at this and be like, oh, he should have never done that. In the moment, you don't know what Coach Staley is thinking, right. and I think that's the point that Braden's bringing up. You don't know what the Raiders are going to do. So you see that third down. You see they come out in this set. You see it all the time on fourth down conversions. Defenses call a timeout. They want to see what look they're in. 
So you call that timeout, you see what look Vegas is in, and you counter that. So I don't mind calling the timeout. We're just looking at it in hindsight, where he calls the timeout, all of a sudden Vegas gets in a field goal range and they kick a field goal to win. But you're rolling the dice on not having the right defense out and the Raiders exploiting you for that, giving up a touchdown to win the game, and now you look stupid for not calling a timeout and sending out your right defense. Oh. I mean, exactly. It's the coulda, woulda, shoulda game. I mean, they could do an entire what-if series on Week 18 of the NFL season alone. It's a point you brought up earlier, Joe. But enough of that. Let's move on to something Ben Roethlisberger said earlier this week leading up to their game with Kansas City. And this is an exact quote. Big Ben said, As a group, you understand that we probably aren't supposed to be here. We're probably not a very good football team. Out of 14 teams I think are in, we're probably number 14. We don't have a chance, so let's just go in and have fun. Now, while this may be true, and I'm sure you guys would agree that it is true, I don't think of a there's a worse possible thing he could have said. Yeah, what's that Stephen A. clip? I think it's like, you're, you're not wrong, but you didn't have to say it. Yeah. That's 100% applies to Big Ben in this scenario. And I would think that a guy with as much of experience as he has wouldn't say something like that. I think Najee Harris went on social media and was pissed off about it. I mean, rightfully so. You put 18 weeks of games and then plus however many in the offseason into this year, and then your starting quarterback goes out and says something like that. So I don't know. Could definitely throw – could rub some of the young guys the wrong way. I, obviously, Steelers are underdogs in this game, but at the same time, it's the, it's the NFL playoffs. You never know what can happen. Bad teams give good teams games all the time. We saw it throughout the regular season this year. So – yeah, tough thing to say when you have that much uh, leadership and respect in the locker room to make a statement like that. Yeah, I said it earlier in the season. The NFL is the biggest, or not earlier in the season, earlier in this episode. The NFL is the biggest, but what if league? Look at the Chiefs through the first six weeks of the season. They were horrendous. They were they were the bottom of that division. There were people saying, "Hey, Casey's probably not going to make the playoffs because of how Vegas looked at the start of the year and how the Chargers looked." What if the Chiefs come out and lay a stinker like they did in the first five weeks? Buffalo put up 35-plus points on them. That, like, the defense was not great. So you never know what's going to happen. Now, granted, Pittsburgh went to Kansas City after around uh, Christmas time and didn't really go their way, but you never know. The Steelers, they might activate Juju before the game. So it, it, the whole thing is that the NFL is the biggest what-if league, and Big Ben, this is his last his last trip. This is his, his last few games here. I don't know why he's going in with such a pessimistic attitude. He's, he's had, so done. He's done with he's it. Clear. He's had some really stupid off-the-field stuff, and he's been kind of a clown in the locker room. But this is just the latest example of it. And I think that if, if the Steelers end up going on this huge run, we'll be like, wow, Big Ben was just trying to rile up his locker room. But, like, right now, it just looks really stupid. Like, yeah. there's nothing else going for you. Rile up your team to beat the Kansas City Chiefs, who beat you three or four weeks ago. It makes no sense to me. So, 2019, the New England Patriots beat the Miami Dolphins 43 to nothing. In Miami, of all places, by the way, is one of the worst Dolphins teams we have ever seen. Week 17 of that season, Fitzmagic rallies the group together and leads them to a stunning win at Gillette. Probably the upset of the year that shook up the entire NFL season. Why can't the same thing happen here? 
don't get me wrong. Kansas City demolished Pittsburgh 36 to 10 when they met around Christmas time, and Pittsburgh's offense just isn't good. So I think that if Pittsburgh is going to win this game, it's going to come from their defense. But at the same time, that is just one of the most stupid, illogical things that you could have said. And that and I'm mad about it, and I'm not even a Steelers fan because it just shows almost like he doesn't want to be here. Exactly. I think that's the point, too, where it's like, um, if it was, like, let's say it was Mac Jones, he comes out and says, yeah, we don't have a chance against Buffalo. What? That doesn't make any sense. Like, rile up your team, get on your back. But one thing if, that I do want to bring if up. If Mac Jones is, said that, I think Gillette Stadium would have been littered within minutes. Right. But one thing that I do want to bring up, too, is, like, the NFL is a bunch of Alabamas and Georgias. Like, we saw in, in college football, it was just those two and everybody else. This is the NFL is the best football players in the world playing in this league. You could be the Jaguars, have three wins, and beat a great football team. It's possible because you have talented athletes. You may not have the right coaching schemes or whatever that makes you at the bottom of the league, but any team can win on any Sunday, as bleak as it looks. I bet, uh, I bet Ben Roethlisberger was cheering for a tie in the Raiders Chargers. He was probably <laughs> sitting on his couch like, I hope this ends in a tie so our season can be over and I can retire. <laughs> yeah, that, that is a low blow. By the way, I forgot to put this on the rundown. Bama, Georgia. Georgia wins 33-18. Give us your quick thoughts. It was time. I mean, Bama's, I mean, Bama is dominant. Like, that's still not really up for discussion. Uh, this team's gone to how many cha- national championships in a row or – it's just always so dominant every year, and you always expect them to be in contention, and we saw it. Like, it's tough to hang around. Clemson really stunk this year. Ohio State wasn't in the conversation down the stretch. So for Bama's longevity, I guess is the right way to put it, for as much as Saban has done with this program is flat-out astounding. And, yeah, it was cool to see the underdog win. It was cool to see Georgia win. But this time next year, we'll probably be sitting back in the same spot saying, how does Bama keep on doing this? Because they'll probably win again next year. Yeah. I was going to say that. I was like, where can I put my bet in for Alabama to win the national championship next year? Because it just seems like whenever there's resiliency or sorry, adversity that hits a college football team, they meet it and they, they conquer their next objective. Alabama is going to remember this loss. Bryce young is going to remember this loss. Don't be surprised if Bama goes undefeated next year. That's all I'm going to say. Well, Joe, you know, mobile sports betting is now legal in New York state. So there's your 21 though. So I, I can't, I can't bet. Hey, they don't have to know that. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We do not support that sort of activity here. All right, let's move on. The final NFC wildcard spot was up for grabs between the Niners and Saints last weekend. New Orleans needed to win, and they needed a San Francisco loss. San Francisco, you win, you're in. It's pretty simple. The Saints took care of business. They took care of Atlanta 30-20 to in a game that was much more lopsided than that final score would lead you to believe. And they looked good for a while. The Rams were up 17 to nothing in this game, but then it went downhill from there. San Francisco scored 17 unanswered to tie it. Jimmy Garoppolo led an 80-something yard drive with no timeouts, by the way, to tie the game. Then they win it on that field goal in the extra time frame. So San Francisco wins. They get the final spot. New Orleans heads into the offseason. But it's a bad look for the Rams, if I'm being brutally honest. So when you look at this game... Is it more about San Francisco coming back or the Rams choking? Uh, I'll tell you, the Rams have struggled at big times this year, and Stafford specifically. I've been pounding the table for this guy since the beginning of the season, as Ben Spector will tell you. But 
he's cracked under pressure in some big moments. And Sean McVay, we know how much of an offensive genius he is. And beginning of the season, it looked like this Rams team was unstoppable, but they faltered down the stretch. So I do wonder how much or how how this team's going to fare in the playoffs. But for San, for San Francisco, man, this team is going to be a tough out. They get Dallas in the first round. I'm not scared of Dallas at all. Granted, I'm an Eagles fan, but in the playoffs, that Cowboys team does not scare me at all. 49ers run the ball well. Jimmy G is not a world beater, but this is a team that went to a Super Bowl a few years ago. Still a very good defense. On the other side, this offensive line is good. Trent Williams, one of the best offensive linemen in the NFL, and I love Elijah Mitchell just as much as the next guy. So, look, a lot of credit to the 49ers for coming back in this game. The Rams had an opportunity to put them away and just didn't, but I'm excited to see what San Fran could do in the playoffs this year. I couldn't agree more with what Braden said. I, I like. I think that the Rams are going to be interesting to watch. I had them as my NFC pick in the Super Bowl to start the season because I just like Braden, I'm a big believer in Matthew Stafford. Um, but I think the 49ers have something to play for. I oh mean, yeah, the fact that we they came into the season with a rookie quarterback sitting on the bench, you know, already looking at the future. Jimmy G had his injuries um, last season. I felt like the 49ers defense, every single one of them had COVID at some point. Um, they had to play on the road, you know, and Jimmy G was hurt for that entire season. So this is just a, a form of the 49ers back from that 2019 team that went to the Super Bowl. They're getting the band back together. They needed to win to get in the playoffs, and they had that resiliency. I don't know if it's really a Rams choke job that, that you say, Liam, obviously, blowing a 17 17- point advantage is not great but i think that this is more of the 49ers knowing they needed to beat the rams by any means necessary to get into the playoffs and they showed jimmy g showed they have that resiliency they have that strength they have the team and the fact that the new orleans saints could have been in the playoffs with ian book as their quarterback i think that that made the 49ers a little bit angry because they know they're a much better team than new orleans Yes, and I'm tired of the Jimmy Garoppolo slander, if I'm being totally honest. That may be... Oh, no figure. The, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, I mean, but people forget that he led the 49ers to the Super Bowl two years ago. Uh, I don't know if led is the right word. Oh. He was the quarterback of the team that went to the Super Bowl. I yeah, think that's so, all you can say about him. You, you were segueing into my next point. I know the rushing attack and the defense had a lot to do with it, but if you can be the quarterback of a team that gets to the Super Bowl, to put it as Braden put it, you deserve to be a starting quarterback in the National Football League, right? Sean McVay took Jared Goff to a Super Bowl. People forget that. Nick Foles started his Super Bowl, and now he's a third string in Chicago. So Okay. <sighs> I mean, yeah, it's it's more in what else, what else you have around the team. I think San Francisco's defense they're, in 29. They're a very, very good team, and they're scary come playoff time. They were a dark horse of mine coming into the season. I thought Super Bowl was their peak. Maybe not anymore, but this team can make some serious noise come playoff time. And as for the Rams... I can't help but be worried because the NFC West was no guarantee for them coming into the week. They needed a winner, the Cardinals, to lose. Fortunately for them, the Cardinals lost to Seattle, so they didn't have to worry about that. But it's still disconcerting at bare minimum. Yeah, I mean, we mentioned it. Um, Staffers just struggled down the stretch of the season, came out flying, and then they lost a couple games that they probably shouldn't have towards the middle of the season got hot towards the back end of the season but yeah to blow that lead against san francisco going into the playoffs in a game where you had a chance to put them away and just solidify yourself as this team is legit going into the playoffs now you have question marks now you probably have guys doubting themselves 
obviously an uber talented team. They have sold the farm to compete. They're in, they're in a position to do so, but I don't know. This, this past week raises some serious question marks. I just think the fact that they have to go against the Cardinals again hurts because the Cardinals had this division locked up. They lost it. And the Cardinals, they did what they needed to do to secure a wild card spot. But now they go to L.A. That is going to be a fun game to watch because I think the Cardinals right now are a more talented squad if they can put everything together. I think the Cardinals offense has some guys that can play. Not to mention, not to mention. The Rams are coming into this game with a bad, bitter loss that had they won the game, they're going up against the Eagles or they're going up against the 49ers. You have to play Arizona again. That is, that's difficult. Not to mention Arizona is getting J.J. Watt back too. Exactly. So let's move on to the Black Monday. I guess it extended into Black Wednesday this week, I think. And we begin with the Miami Dolphins making the stupid, stupid decision to let go of Brian Flores. Flores was Flores never made the playoffs. They went 24 and 25 in his three seasons, but went 24 and 18 in the last 42. Is the only coach to start a season one and seven and finish with a winning record. Swept New England this past season. This uh, just makes not <laughs> but this just makes no sense. Look, the, here here's how I look at it. Right. So what what I saw is that Brian Flores was not on the same page as the organization. So the organization clearly was, do we go with Brian Flores or do we take the Tua Tungabailoa route? Personally, I would take the Brian Flores route. But they decided to go with Tua and make Tua their guy. That is a very difficult thing to do to go back into a draft, get a quarterback or trade for a quarterback like a Russell Wilson or a Sean Watson, whatever. I think firing Brian Flores was dumb. I don't think it was a great idea, but they decided to go with the Tua route because Tua's the safer bet. I don't agree with it, but I think that Brian Flores should be an NFL head coach somewhere. What he's done over the last few years in Miami, I mean, they haven't had their successes against Buffalo, but they have had their successes against the Patriots. They had an eight-game, I believe it was an eight-game win streak this year. Seven. Seven. After starting as a one-win squad, I mean, Braden, the, the Dolphins draft pick is with Philly. And we were talking about that being a top three pick all season. And now it's just outside of the playoffs. I mean, Miami's a good team. As much as you don't want to say it, they are. And to choose Tua over Brian Flores and his staff, boy, that, that there needs to be a lot of explaining from the Dolphins front office and ownership. Oh, yeah. Joe, you started, or sorry, I'll lead with this. Brian Flores is going to go to an NFL team. I'd be surprised if he wasn't a head coach by the start of next season, and he's probably going to have a lot of success, and people are going to say, why in the world did Miami do this? And they're right. At the same time, Joe, I think you started off, and I was agreeing with you, and then you turned on the Tua side, which I don't know if it was really 100% that, I think is what um, people were saying, was that like he didn't really see eye-to-eye with management at all, like just didn't have a lot of just had a lot of disagreements with them. And one of the major ones might've been Tua. That's fine. But you talk about another thing was Deshaun Watson and who knows what's going on with him. But the big thing was that Deshaun Watson likes Brian Flores. It was one of the reasons why he was interested in Miami. So look, I don't agree with the front, with the firing. I think Brian Flores is a fantastic head coach, but when 
your head coach doesn't see eye to eye with your front office or your ownership, that's an issue. And I'm sure they tried to repair that and just didn't have success and said, okay, this is the best route to go. So definitely a head scratcher from a football sense, but at the same time, you're running a franchise. You want all of these things to be working together because if they're not, you're going to lose games. So it stinks. You lose a good head coach, but at the same time, you want a guy in your building that you see eye to eye with. But do you, but do you think that that whole eye to eye thing is because of the quarterback situation? I'm, I'm sure it has something to do with that, but I'm sure there's a lot more that goes on in the day to day than just the big picture quarterback. I'm not saying sitting here saying that two is a world beater and they should have let go of him, but I don't know. It's just tough. I think there's a lot more that goes on than just the quarterback debate. I will say this. Getting rid of your head coach is easier than getting rid of your quarterback. And that's the sort of overarching picture. Getting rid of your head coach is easier than getting rid of your quarterback because there are only, I don't know, maybe 10 franchises with a set-in-stone quarterback that can lead them to a Super Bowl. And, you know... I'm honestly uncertain that Tua is that guy from Miami, and I'm sure I'm not alone. Deshaun Watson could lead Miami to a Super Bowl, but we don't know if he's ever going to play again. So, I mean, you got to... It's very... Because on paper, Brian Flores is an excellent head coach, and it's shown in his performance over the past three years. But there must have been something going on that we don't know about. That's the only thing I can think of. And then I agree with Braden. I think that... He will absolutely be a head coach within the next few weeks or so. I mean, and we've got quite a few to get into. So let's start with the New York Giants and Joe Judge. Shout out Ben Spector. I mean, this tenure was nothing short of a failure. 10 and 23. It looked like he was going to be safe for a while, but late Tuesday night, they gave him the KO. So in terms of Tim personally... I think he's going to be back in Foxborough. I really do. But ever since that photo on the boat was taken, this franchise has been nothing short of a clown show. Yeah, it honestly hurts me as an Eagles fan because Joe Judge was such a terrible head coach and Dave Gettleman was such a bad GM and for them to clean house was the right move, but it means they'll probably be more competitive as a result of it. So it hurts me. It was 100% the right move. I'm sure Joe Judge is going to go to like Alabama or something and be a great coordinator there or back to New England and do great stuff there. But yeah, just clearly, I don't think ever really had a hold of the locker room for the last few weeks down the stretch. He was like fighting for his job in post-game press conferences and sounded like he was trying to convince himself that that he was a good head coach. So it was time. New York just continues to not get it right, which again, great for me. I'm loving watching this as a Eagles fan, but hopefully at some point they do get it right because it's fun. It's fun when, to be competitive. It's fun to have a rivalry with the New York Giants, and it just hasn't been that way the last few years. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, the, the main thing is the Giants tried with an experiment, uh, and but I don't think it was the right time to experiment. The post-Eli Manning era, like I was listening to this on the radio the other day, they wanted Dave Gettleman as the GM because he probably was the only GM candidate that was willing to stick with Eli until he retired. So now Manning retires and they go with Daniel Jones. But you bring in an experimental head coach, a special teams coordinator from New England. Granted, New England's coaching tree and Bill Belichick's coaching tree has been successful, but Uh... I don't really agree with the whole experimental special team coordinator in his head coach. This is no shot to special teams. Special teams are special. Shout out Ben Spector. But I think just you have a more – you have a better chance of being competitive – 
if you have an OC or a DC or an acting head coach or a former interim head coach, bringing in a first-year guy as a head coach to, to, to have to have the control of the locker room right away. I just didn't think it worked out for the Giants, and I think the ownership group, they, they took a chance. The general manager took a chance. It didn't work, and I'm, I know Braden's disappointed that they're, they clean house, but it's, it's good to see when the Giants are competitive. There should be a competitive team playing in New York City. This there should be two. Country. I mean, I'm going to give him a little bit of relief on this front. Late in the season, when you're starting Jake from State Farm, there's not exactly a lot you can do, but at the same time, forcing Jake from State Farm to do a quarterback sneak on third and eight is mind-bogglingly stupid. And now I want to bring up something that Joe said about the Belichick coaching tree and the quote-unquote success it has had. Quite the opposite, actually, my friend. Bill Belichick disciples have actually been terrible as head coaches. Exhibit A, Bill O'Brien. Exhibit B, Matt Patricia. Exhibit C, Josh McDaniels. And now this. And you can... Maybe put Brian Flores as an outlier, but the only true Belichick disciple that has seen success as a head coach is Mike Vrabel. And he was never a coach in New England. He was a player. Now, don't get me wrong, Vrabel's a fantastic head coach, and I'm sure he learned a lot from his time in New England. But it's really interesting to think about because all these Nick Saban assistants have gone on and had wildly successful college careers as head coaches. Just look at Kirby Smart. Bill Belichick cannot say the same. Well, I mean, obviously, you know this information more than I do, being a Pats fan. But you know, I taking a coach from the Belichick coaching tree as as unsuccessful as it has been for many um, offensive coordinators and defensive coordinators in the past, it's not a dumb move to take somebody from. Oh Bill no, Belichick. I'm not saying it's dumb, but I, it's an interesting trend to look at. Is my point. I'm not going to gas up Bill Belichick more than you want me to, so I'm done talking. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, moving on. The Houston Texans cut David Culley after just one season, and I want to be totally honest with you guys. I didn't think he did, did a terrible job. I mean, Davis Mills outperformed expectations. He wasn't really working with a lot, but unless I'm mistaken, the Texans were 4-12. and They were 4-13. and I expected them to finish with one win at the start of the season, and he kept them competitive in a lot of games they, to be honest, shouldn't have been competitive in. I think, I, don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure I saw this somewhere that it was another thing similar to Flores where I think they sat down with him and said, we want you to hire a new offensive staff, and he wasn't willing to do that. So I'm pretty sure that was the main reason they sacked him, which that makes sense. And getting back to the point I made about Flores is if you don't see eye to eye with management, things are going to start to crumble and maybe this – front office and ownership had a vision for what they want in a head coach and an offensive staff. And he didn't share that. And at the end of the day, yeah, it stinks. The guy probably exceeded expectations, but at the same time, you only won four football games and that can be a lack of talent, but you are what your record says you are. So I don't blame this Texans front office. There is a lot going on within that team right now. And maybe they just want to completely hit the reset button. And maybe they take a quarterback come draft time. Who knows? Maybe you want to get, you're a guy at quarterback and then a head coach in there and start to completely re rebuild this franchise, get out from the whole Deshaun Watson thing. So I think it's just them trying to flip the, flip, flip the page. They tried to do it last season, didn't work, and just completely hit the reset button going forward. This guy Braden's just taking the, uh, you know, the, the front office angle here, and it's, it's really tough to disagree with because yeah. he, he's right. But my issue is that 
is there going to be a savior coach that comes into Houston and saves it year one? Why not draft a quarterback, as Braden says, but see if Cully's the right coach? You know, like, if they don't see eye to eye, whatever. But if Cully has a vision, after this Texan squad that had no chance of winning, had zero talent on either side of the ball, ends up having four wins and they beat the Tennessee Titans and they almost beat New England at home. They beat the Chargers, too. Beat the Chargers. It, it doesn't really add up to me. And I think, you know, it, Cully sort of got disrespected in this in this, in this this area. And so, look, if, if the Texans go into April and they draft Kenny Pickett third and they bring in Brian Flores or Jim Harbaugh or whoever – and they set the reset button. Wow, that's that's a, that's one heck of a reset button. Now I understand. But if they bring in another DC or another OC, and they end up taking Derek Stingley or a corner or a linebacker, what's this whole reset button for? So when I lived in Houston, I rooted for them on the side unless they impacted the Patriots. But what that organization has turned into has made me say. You know what? I'm done. I don't I don't even live in Houston anymore, so it doesn't really affect me. But um one of my closest friends in Houston has completely gotten rid of the Texans altogether. Granted, he lived in Arizona before he ever lived in Houston. But it's interesting that how this they had such a bright future and now they've completely fallen from grace. People forget they were up twenty four to nothing against the Kansas City Chiefs in a playoff game two years ago. And from that moment onward, things have just spiraled completely out of control. And it's it's disheartening to see because they had a good thing going. And I know some of it was out of their control. Exhibit A, the Deshaun Watson situation. But, I mean, give this guy a chance. Unless, like Braden said, they don't really see eye to eye with the front office, then you're going to start to have some problems. But, I mean, give him a chance. But I just think that's a it's it's a very conservative take, right? Mm-hmm. Like if it didn't work out, all right, fine. Like let's not let's not experiment here. Let's not go. And I understand that I just said um, the whole taking an aggressive coach is not a great idea. But if he exceeds expectations, right? I mean, I, what did the Texans front office expect this season? A playoff run? Like it, four wins and beating some pretty dang good teams on the way to it? I don't know, man. I feel like that was a a good year. For a Texan squad that had nothing going for them in an offseason that had a ginormous headache, they still haven't dealt Deshaun Watson anywhere. They haven't addressed that situation at all. So if Cully said, no, I you know, I want to get a secondary. If we can if we can stick with who we have, if we like Davis Mills can start again. This quarterback class isn't strong this year, but then try our luck at Bryce Young or try our luck at someone other studly quarterback in college football. I think that's not too too shabby. I I would love to know. We'll never know, but I'd love to know what the Texans front office has in goal, in store for next season, because the AFC South has two pretty dang good teams at the top, and a Jacksonville squad that has the best quarterback prospect we've seen since Andrew Luck. High praise for Trevor Lawrence, but moving on down the Black Monday list, we go into one of the coaches that we knew without a doubt was getting the can. Late in the season, Matt Nagy of the Chicago Bears. He had an okay tenure, was 34-31, and 31, had just one losing season. But ever since the double doink, the Chicago Bears have been nothing short of a letdown. Yeah, it was just time with Nagy. He was spread way too thin. And look, Mitchell Trubisky wasn't great for the guy. Um, this team, 
has had some good defenses. Like Matt Nagy had good trade for Khalil Mack had, uh, it was a Kyle Fuller or Kendall Fuller. I can't remember, but a good corner. Like this team had pieces on the defensive side, just never really put it together on the offensive side. So look, they've got a bright future. They got Justin Fields back there. Now that defense is still very solid. I think you hire the right guy. It does Harbaugh maybe come there. That's what I've seen the most of as their leading candidate for head coach. So this team is a few years away, it feels like. It's going to take more Fields development if they bring Allen Robinson back. They're going to need threats for Fields. Um, but the right guy in Chicago, maybe it's Doug Peterson, like a culture setter within that franchise could really get them trending in the right direction. I agree entirely. And, you know, J- Jim Harbaugh has always been uh, linked to that team. And I, for college football's sake, I hope he stays at Michigan and keeps building that program. But he's got to be looking at Chicago like, dang. I've got a quarterback like Justin Fields. Uh, We have a defensive leader in Khalil Mack. If we just get the right pieces in here, put in the right offense, you never know. You look at the NFC North, it's Green Bay who will be on top of the pedestal for I don't know how much longer with Aaron Rodgers' situation. And then Detroit and Minnesota who are, you know, Minnesota just can their head coach. We'll talk about that in, in a second. And Detroit who is starting from the bottom. So the NFC North is sort of, you know, the second place in the NFC North, it's up for grabs, and normally second place in your division gets you a wild card spot. Chicago has the right quarterback, I, I believe. I think Justin Fields is incredibly talented. Just got to get that right guy in there. And Matt Nagy was not. Braden said it perfectly. He's just spread too thin. He's, he's just not that good of a head coach, and it, it really hurt the Bears long term. Especially because he won that Coach of the Year award. So he wins that first year, and it's like, boom, all right, we got our guy. And then, uh, no, not really. I'll give you a name. And it's a darn good one. It's one who has turned a very talented quarterback, probably more so than Justin Fields. In fact, I can say with certainty more so than Justin Fields, and turned him into arguably the best quarterback in football. How about Eric Bieniemy, the offensive coordinator of the Kansas City Chiefs, comes in, works with Fields the same way he worked with Patty Mahomes. And I'm not saying Justin Fields is going to get to that level, but it's certainly something that Chicago should look into. Now, if you want to go further out, yeah, maybe Jim Harbaugh. That's not a bad idea. Or BT Reed's boy, Doug Peterson, who maybe had a bit of a falling from grace after that Week 17 fiasco last year. But at the same time, Doug Peterson did lead a team with Nick Foles as quarterback to a Super Bowl title. Yeah, the enemy's interesting. And I don't really know. I thought for sure he was going to get a head coaching job last offseason. So I was I. surprised that he didn't. Um, but Kansas City, the Andy Reid coaching tree has had success. I know Peterson came from it, and there's been others too. I don't think Frank Reich was, but I'm, I'm think I'm, I'm blanking on the names right now. But I'm pretty sure there's a few other that are having success. Reich was in, in the league right now. What's that? Frank Reich, the OC, the Super Bowl. He, he was Peterson's yeah. OC, yeah. yeah. But I'm saying I'm pretty sure there's other guys around the league that have been under Andy Reid that have gone on to have success. And look. You're learning under Andy Reid, who's had a ton of success first with Philly and then with Kansas City. So a popular name, absolutely. I was, again, bewildered that he didn't get a job last cycle, but I could be a good fit in Chicago. You're right. Ready for my um, popular name here? And I know this team better than any other team that I oh, follow. I know where it is. Oh. Ryan Dable from the Buffalo Bills. Look, not only did he develop Josh Allen in the way – because, like, you talk about Patty Mahomes – He's a supremely talented quarterback. It's kind of, you can't really and teach And Josh Allen isn't? And Josh Allen isn't? Josh Allen is. But he go. was a project. He was a project quarterback. He had it in him. Brian Dabble had to show him, like, hey, you have this in you. 
He also comes from the Nick Saban coaching tree. He was the OC for Tua back in 2017, and they won the national championship that 2018. I think Brian Dable, I thought he should have been a head coach last year, wasn't, just like Eric Bieniemy. Boy, if he goes to Chicago with Fields, ooh, I kind of like that. Yeah, i got to be honest, so do I. All right, Joe brought this up earlier, but after, I believe it was seven seasons? Yes, eight seasons, excuse me. Mike Zimmer, gone from the Minnesota Vikings. He wasn't bad. 72-56-1, that's not too shabby, but... 15 and 18 over the last two seasons, made the NFC Championship game once. The defense really fell apart in his last two years as well. Yeah, and again, like you're not going to do a lot with Kirk Cousins as your quarterback. Spread too thin, maybe not as much as Matt Nagy, but who knows? Um, Vikings are still built okay. Like I think a coach could step in there and maybe get them into a playoff team in a year or two. You got Justin Jefferson, which kills me to say it, but you have him. You have some pieces on that defense as well. It could be an attractive job. I, don't, I wouldn't say it's the most attractive job out there right now. But, yeah, Mike Zimmer was just clearly done down the stretch. His comments about Kellen Moore – or Kellen Mond, sorry. Um, after that Green Bay game were just seemed standoffish. So, clearly he's had one foot out the door for a couple weeks at this point and just needed to reset in that organization. It'll be interesting to see what they do at quarterback because Spielman's gone, the GM, and Zimmer. I think Kirk Cousins is a great quarterback, and you have Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen outside – if they can, both guys, GM and head coach, what's Kirk Cousins going to do? Are they going to bring in a head coach that likes Kirk Cousins or bring a head coach that likes Kellen Mond? Or, hey, let's go get this Kenny Pickett guy from Pitt. Let's go trade up and get him. So it'll be fun to watch the Vikings this offseason. Yeah, it will. And one thing I do want to bring up is that, I'm, and this is going to send Pooch into flames, but I don't think the Minnesota Vikings should have traded Stephon Diggs. They, they just shouldn't have. I know that they have... Thielen and Justin Jefferson, but imagine that offense with Stephon Diggs. They got Jefferson from the Diggs trade. In that case, never mind. Right. But, I mean... The only situation where the trade works for both sides. The Bills you, needed an all-pro receiver. I mean, who would you... It's Diggs. it's very tough because Diggs. when you put Diggs and Jefferson side-by-side side to each other, Diggs, Diggs is probably the better player right now, but Jefferson has the brighter future. So... Okay. Jefferson's younger. That's the only reason why. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> best route runner in the NFL. Next question. Uh, Julio Jones would like a word, but I know. Hey, 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 hold on. I know he's old. I know he's old, but give me a break. Wait, oh, what? <laughs> Liam, he was never the best route runner in the NFL, even at his peak. Oh, dear. I strongly disagree with that statement. Holy cow. <laughs> yeah, there's your there's your hot take of the day. Actually, no, I've got a few more later. But I mean. Vikings, I mean, they're not the most attractive job on the market, but they're certainly not the least attractive job on the market. Yeah. And we end our Black Monday celebration talking about Vic Fangio of the Denver Broncos. I'll actually start off here. I don't think this whole thing is entirely on Vic Fangio. I don't think their struggles are entirely on Vic Fangio. And here's why. Since Peyton Manning retired six years ago now, John Elway has neglected to get a quarterback for that team. Tried it with Trevor Simeon, no. tried with Drew Locke, tried they Teddy Bridgewater. They tried a quarterback. They try, but they fail every time. Well, they so, tried by investing a second-round pick and then declined to take Justin Fields when he was sitting there. Exactly, exactly. Wild, right? So, I'm not certain that's entirely on him. Maybe you go get, oh, I don't know, Kenny Pickett from Pitt. But I think this is a the fact Kenny that he Pickett led run. that roster to 7-10, and 10, 
the fact that he led that roster to seven and ten, I think it's kind of impressive. Denver just has nothing really going for him, you know. Like they play yeah. in a difficult division. It's 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 the similar story that we said to Houston, right? Like, what were the expectations for Denver? Make the playoffs in that division? I, I don't really know. So you you have Teddy Two Gloves as a bridge quarterback, and then oh, that was good. That was really good. Oh yeah, you like that? I don't know if you meant to do that, but that was really good. <laughs> Damn. Anyways, Drew Locke. Okay. They don't have the quarterback. The, they, they drafted Pat Sertan. Great draft pick. But great, great player. Not what you needed. But no, they didn't need that. And no. and you needed to invest offensively, and they didn't do that. So, I don't know. I think it's more of a front office issue, as Liam said. Uh, you know, I think I never thought Vic Fangio was a great head coach. But if they can get a head coach that pairs nicely with the QB, you never know. Yeah, this team is very set up to win. I know they traded Von Miller away, but it's still a good defensive unit. I know Vangio's a defensive head coach, but there are some weapons on that offensive side. You got, um, I literally just had Corbin Sutton on the outside, Jerry Judy, KJ Hamler, uh, right? Albert Okunik, mm, I, I tried. I almost, Albert Okunik, I think. That's it. Tight end. Noah Fant is another guy, too. Javante Williams. Like, they, this team has weapons. It could be an attractive spot. They were mentioned for guys like Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson. Could they make a play for him this offseason? Absolutely. And if you get one of those guys, that job is instantly the most attractive. And oh, we'll without question. Have to see how it plays out. I would imagine they would hire a head coach before they go out and get a quarterback like that. But maybe you find a – maybe you say to Jim Harbaugh, maybe you say to Eric Bieniemy, we want to win this thing now. Let's go get Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson or some of these other quarterbacks that are disgruntled. And that's a very competitive team right away. So this team – Maybe they're just looking to draft a quarterback and build that way, but this team could turn it around very quickly if they get aggressive. You should take that Pickett guy from Pitt. I think he's very Huge good. Uh, he's point. not too shabby. Should have won the Heisman, by the way. Liam! <laughs> what? You heard me. Yeah. That's ridiculous. You're going on okay, okay, Liam. maybe. I just think his upside is higher than Bryce Young's. Wait, sorry, dude. I have to disagree. Kenny Pickett. I think his upside is a little Damn, higher than Bryce Young's. Oh, my God. I think it's the highest floor quarterback. He's probably the lowest ceiling. That's Bryce like the big knock on him is that he doesn't have the ceiling of some of these other guys. Okay. Bryce Young's ceiling is through my house right now. Kenny think it's like 25 years old at this well, point. Well, head- Pooch, college football. Pooch, it looks like your head is right below your ceiling yeah, is the thing. It's it's here. Okay? Exactly. So it's farther exactly. than you think. All right? Exactly. God, the log cabin jokes never stopped. <laughs> No, they also, don't. Also, Anderson should have won the Heisman this year, but let's continue. Who should? Anderson should have won it. He was a better defensive player. Okay. All right. Well, let's move in. Before we get into picking this weekend's playoff games, we got to take a flat that blast of the past. Talk about the history lesson. Time to honor some great, or in some cases, not so great accomplishments of the past week. 57 years. Okay. Actually, excuse me. We're recording this on Friday, so I'd like to highlight something that happened four years ago today, Friday. The Minneapolis Miracle. How about that? Yeah, pretty, pretty surely they, they go on and win the national or win the NFC Championship game. Are oh yeah, absolutely. Better? Surely, surely, surely they'd keep that receiver that made the catch. Oh surely. All right. Well, since you'll be listening Saturday, 57 years ago today, January 15th, the San Francisco Warriors sent Wilt Chamberlain to BT Reed's Philadelphia 76ers for three players in cash considerations. I Wilt- love watching that guy play. <laughs> <laughs> Wilt spent three and a half seasons in the city of brotherly love, including a championship-winning season in 67. Wilt also won a title with the Lakers in 72, but he had his 100-point game with San Francisco, I believe. 
Max? Yeah, I mean, I wasn't really around then, but uh, Wilt Chamberlain, <laughs> phenomenal player. That's yeah, all I've that's heard. That's all that happened. Really? Played against uh, six-foot basketball players and never seen someone dunk before. So. <laughs> <laughs> Wilt Chamberlain was sort of revolutionary in that aspect. Just a little bit. Uh, so is it my is it my turn now? Yes, for Joe, the, uh, it is your turn. What do you say, Liam? Yes, Joe, it is your turn. Let's go. All right, so two years ago on Sunday, January 16th, as a fallout from the Astros' sign-stealing scandal, the New York Mets and newly appointed manager Carlos Beltran mutually agreed to part ways. Beltran held the role for all of two and a half months, and he was fired before he could manage a game. His name comes has come up in managerial conversations this past winter, but he does not have a job in pro baseball right now. I remember when this happened because the Mets were very happy with their hire of Beltran, and it sort of backfired that way. I thought it was kind of a lazy firing. I mean, I, I'm a Yankee fan, so obviously the Astros sign-stealing scandal, sign-stealing scandal was something that I was uh, invested in and, and was looking at. But, uh, you know, the Mets losing their manager was was very tough, and I think it, it's, it's a big what-if, but I thought Beltran was a great fit with the Mets, and unfortunately it's going to work out. Especially since Mickey Calloway was so, so successful. Not Mickey Calloway, Luis Rojas. Right. Mickey Calloway was not successful whatsoever. No. Well, yeah. All right, and Pooch, am I safe in assuming that Carlos Beltran is your favorite player from that team because he was a Yankee? Uh, sure, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it'll be Carlos Correa in about three months. So. Huh. Oh, let's hope, right? Let's hope. All right, uh, 10 years ago, Monday, January 17th, we're going day by day here. I like it. LeBron James broke the NBA record for youngest player to reach 20,000 points at 28 years and 17 days, surpassing Kobe Bryant's 29 years and 122 days. LeBron currently sits third all-time in points, needing a little over 2,000 that surpassed Kareem at number one. I don't know the average on that. Like, is he going to do that? Um, I think I don't know if he's going to do it this season, but there's no doubt he'll do it before he retires. And BT Reed, I'm going to be totally honest with you. I don't think that's what the goal of LeBron should be working on right now. I think LeBron should be working on trading Russell Westbrook right now. Facts, Westbrook, worst hey, player of all time. Westbrook for Simmons, straight up. I don't want either of those guys. No. <laughs> Absolutely not. Uh, Pooch the Clipper, Clippers fan, right? Clippers fan? Joe? I do not have an NBA team. Oh, why the, no. If I had to root for a team, it'd probably be like the Raptors. I just don't watch the NBA that much. Ah, fair. 64 years ago, Tuesday. Oh, my right, go Braves. 64 years ago, Tuesday, January 18th, Willie Ree became the first African-American to appear in the NHL. Playing for the Bruins as they will take down as they took down Montreal 3-0. And fittingly enough, this coming Tuesday, number 22 will hit the Raptors of TD Garden. I'm considering going. That, sounds- that, that, would, that would mean the world. That would mean the world for O'Ree. I don't know. I don't know. Is he still is he still around? Uh yes. And according to Nesson, he will be participating in the ceremony virtually. I bet if he if he saw Liam Griffin there, I'd be like, this day is made. <laughs> I'd agree. Um, I'm just surprised that they're retiring it now. But Yeah, I'm surprised it took them so long. Here we go. Three years ago, on Thursday, January 20th, the most controversial and arguably most wild day of NFL Conference Championships. Uh, we all remember the, in the NFC. Uh, Nikel Roby Coleman wasn't called for pass interference. Rams go to the Super Bowl. Um, and then later that night, uh, of course, the Patriots, uh, they got the football in OT. They beat the Chiefs on the road. To set up like the worst Super Bowl ever, I think <laughs> the thirteen to three it's certainly uh, up there. But it was a great day for 
people that love Tom Brady and for a day that uh, hate officials. I think that was a great day. But um, yeah, that was that was like the last, not one of it was one of the last conference championship games before COVID hit. So I kind of feel like it's two different worlds that we're living in now. So. You know, and, Hold on, Liam. I'm going to stop you right go. there. People forget that D4 lined up offside. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. That's what I was going to say. to lose that football game and D4. I forgot about that. That's oh what I was going God. to say. I don't want to talk about it. If D4 yeah. doesn't – I mean, I'm, I'm uncertain if Brady knew it was a free play. I'm going to be honest. I don't think he did. Well, he knew it was a free play. Come on. But if it, was, he, it was like a short throw, I'm pretty sure. It wasn't like uh, – I don't think it was bang-bang. It, bang, it wasn't – no, Gronkowski tipped it then – I don't remember which KC defender came up with it, so that wouldn't have been on Brady. But it just, if D4 doesn't line up offside, it's sort of like opening up Pandora's box. Yeah, look, at the end of the day, it's just another example. Tom Tom Brady's career is just one big bailout. So we'll we'll, we'll live with that and move on. God. Um, Anyway, wrapping things up, four years ago today, or no, not four years ago, four years ago, Friday, January 21st, the stage was set for my personal favorite Super Bowl. It's true. The Patriots beat the Jaguars 20, 24-20. Yada, yada. Shouldn't have won that game either. No. I, there was a Miles Zach was not Miles Zach like was that. not Miles Zach was not down. Was that the fumble? Was that the fumble? Yeah, that was the fumble. That, that was the fumble. That was the fumble. I don't remember. I think it was Miles Jack maybe picked it up. Miles Jack was not down. Miles Jack was not down. I don't remember what exactly what it was. All I know is the Jaguars should have won that we football game. We had no game. business winning that game. Meanwhile, on the other side, Philadelphia Eagles blew out the Vikings 38-7. to Look. Super Bowl was awesome. That was probably the most fun I've ever had watching a football game because Eagles just absolutely beat the brakes off that Vikings team. Sets up a Super Bowl rematch from 13 years earlier. Eagles, Patriots, I think we all know how who came out on top the second time around, much to my uh, pleasure. I mean, yeah. I mean, some have said Nick Rules is... <laughs> some have said Nick Foles is Brady's father since then. I mean, I Max. simply... I simply, can, I simply, I have to agree with that take. I simply cannot deny Cause didn't didn't Foles wasn't Foles the quarterback when the Bears beat the Bucks last season? Was I? You're asking the wrong guy. I have no idea. Uh, was he? I, I think he might have been, but that's besides the point. All right, now let's get into the good stuff. Six games to discuss this weekend. We're gonna go chronologically for the first four, then we'll talk about our teams. We begin in the jungle. Raiders Bengals 4:30 kickoff Saturday on NBC. Cincinnati is a five and a half point favorite. What do you guys expect from this matchup? I expect Joe Shiesty to hit the get the gat dance after this game. Uh, you know, Joe Burrow, I, I think he's a top five quarterback in the national football. That's league. just so Whoa! Wild. He is unbelievable. He is so supremely talented. Jamar Chase and Burrow back in the jungle. I mean, come on now. This Bengal yeah. team is awesome to watch. I will say, Rich Basaccia as the Raiders head coach, thumbs up. I think he should keep his job. He's done a great job. Bengals are a buzzsaw. I mean, the, the Bengals are so much fun to watch. And I'm excited for this game. I think I'm excited for most of these games. I can't really name you one game I'm not excited to watch. The Bengals are, are an up-and-coming team. That rebuild happened in six months. I love it. I think, I think there's going to be a lot of post-game videos on Instagram. I don't know. I'm getting ready. Yeah, I completely second what Joe said about uh, Basaccia staying as the Raiders head coach with everything that guy has had to deal with and just the organization in general to get them into the playoffs is an accomplishment in and of itself. So yeah, I think the Bengals are one of the hottest teams, if not the hottest in football right now. I think they roll through the Raiders and maybe even roll all the way to the Super Bowl. Who knows? You just get a team hot like that. Liam, I gotta be honest. I'm picking the Bengals. Joe and I both picked the Bengals. If you pick the Bengals, can you get up right now and gritty for the pod? 
Um, okay, I'm not... I mean... Oh, wait, you guys you guys won't be able to see me because I have to stand up to do it, plus... We can see you, we can see you. Get sturdy. Yeah! <laughs> no, yeah, jokes aside, I have got... I think the Bengals win this game rather easily. Like you guys, like you guys said, I agree with your take about Rich Bisakia. He should not go anywhere. I mean, the fact that he led the Raiders to the playoffs after everything they've been through this season is impressive in its own right. But, I mean... Listen to Zay Jones mic'd up in the Week 18 game, and you will have your mind set on how great Rich Passaccia is as a coach. Okay, Thanks. I'll have to look that up on YouTube. But I think Joe's take about Burrow being a top-five quarterback is a little bit jumping the gun, especially when you've got Patty Mahomes, Rodgers, Brady, or if you and I'm sure I could give you two others right now. Josh Allen, would you saw him? There it is, bang. Josh Allen, eh, Lamar Jackson, one healthy. Ridiculous. I continue. No, no. Jalen Hurts. Okay, okay, Brayden. All right, I've got the Bengals winning this one. I think Super Bowl is in the cards, but unlikely. But do not discount that possibility. Agreed. All right, moving on. San Francisco at Dallas, 4.30 Sunday on CBS. This game has the smallest spread of any of the playoff games. Dallas is just a three-point favorite. This renews an old rivalry from the 90s and it got intense back then now i'm not saying we're going to see some of the same this weekend but it could get physical i am excited very excited for this game i am almost excited i'm almost hoping for a cowboys loss as much as i am for an eagles win this weekend not as much but it's close i said it earlier on i think the 49ers have 100 percent a shot to win this game i would take them if i were a betting man which i am um, but I think that I think San Fran does win this game with this run game that they have going. It, teams have a tough time stopping it, and I get it. Micah Parsons is fantastic, but Kyle Shanahan is smart enough to run the football away from the guy and neutralize him in this game. So I think it's the Elijah Mitchell show in this one. I think he wins this football game for San Fran, and Dallas pulls a Dallas and just doesn't win a playoff game again. I, I'm in like. I'm just expecting to turn on my TV to watch this game and, like, NFL Films music comes on in the background. Like, everyone my dad's age is like, yeah, 49ers, Cowboys. Like, this is every, like, it's the boomer game. The old boomer football fan matchup. Everyone wants to see this. But Braden brings up a great point. Like, the Cowboys had a solid regular season in a division with the Giants in Washington that didn't play well, and the Eagles got off to a slow start, ended up coming back. They got to take on this 49er squad. We talked about it earlier. They're a great team. They went to the Super Bowl just two years ago. This is going to be fun to watch. And, I mean, everyone hates the Cowboys, right? I hate the Cowboys. Like, we are all on the Braden train here. We want to see the 49ers win. And if the, if San Francisco ends up winning and goes on a long playoff run, it's you got to throw up the question in the air about the Trey Lance future. Is he the guy moving forward? Is you got to stay with with Jimmy Garoppolo? Let's not get too far ahead. They have a playoff game. I like the 49ers' chances. Are we taking picks here? Is that what we're doing? Or yeah, who you I'm got? I'm taking the Niners. Yeah. All right, I'm going to take the Niners. Yeah, I, I I feel confident they can get the job done. All right, Debo Samuel needs to score a touchdown and go like celebrate on the Cowboys star like To did. All right, when you look at what Dallas has done this season. They have beaten, I believe, only two of their, three of their wins have come against playoff teams. One of them was against the Eagles when they stank. I'm sorry, B3, back in week three. You know wow. you know it's true. One of them was against the Eagles when they were, they were essentially tanking the game. One was against the New England Patriots 
back when Josh McDaniels thought it was a good idea to throw the ball while chewing out the clock, Trayvon Diggs got a pick six. It just happens. But when you look so at who this... I love Trayvon Diggs. I hate Trayvon Diggs I hate so Trayvon much. Diggs so much. He's so overrated. His brother is phenomenal. His I brother mean, is phenomenal, but he, as an individual, he makes flashy plays, but statistically, uh, he's a terrible cornerback. He's the third best Diggs in the NFL. You're poking the bear here. Behind, so behind Stefan and Quandre, right? Facts. I, I agree wholeheartedly, but, I mean, Dallas lost to Tampa Bay. They lost to the Denver Broncos in Jerry World, by the way. Then they've also lost to Kansas City. They've also lost to the Raiders. And then they what lost else right there. And then they lost to the Cardinals New Year's Day. They don't play very well against good teams. And as Braden puts on the Philly Fanatic hat for whatever reason, I've got I've got San Francisco winning this game too. I'm not gonna hit the gritty again because that's just not something I'm gonna do. But give me the Niners. Max, do the Niners have a dance? Do they we'll have find, we'll find one? We'll find one. We gotta find one. Alright. This may be the easiest game to pick. Kansas City, Pittsburgh. I think all three of us have the Chiefs. Yeah, I mean, their own quarterback said they weren't going to win the game. I don't think much <laughs> else needs to be said. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I mean, there you go. All right, Monday Night Football is Cardinals-Rams. We were talking about this earlier in the game, and I want to bring up a stat before we start, and this relates to one of the games we haven't talked about. The last three divisional playoff games between two teams from the same division have all been won by a team on the road. And I know that's not what Joe wants to hear. It's the uh, Cardinals. They're they're the road game. I I know. I know. Um, This is just. I I think I think the Rams figure it out. They've they've got Uh, enough talent. I know they struggled down the stretch this year, but I I think they've got a chance to really prove it to everybody else that they are as good as they set themselves up to be. So I, I think they find a way to get it done. Cardinals are in a bit of a tailspin down the stretch this year. So I like the Rams. Yeah, this is like Matt Stafford's sort of like big game here. You know, like he's never won a playoff game before. He gets traded from Detroit after being like quote unquote Mr. Lion. Like he's just like all time Detroit quarterback. This is this is his time, you know, this is his time to 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 prove it that he deserves to be here. Thing is he's going up against the Cardinals, who to start off the year looked unbeatable. So it's whatever Cardinal team we're gonna see. I think I think the Rams are more of a consistent team. That's why they won the division. But if it's the Cardinals team of the start of the year, that Rams defense doesn't really have a chance. I think that the Rams have more talent, as, as Braden mentioned, on both sides of the ball. But if Arizona can get explosive at the right times and shut down Matt Stafford, which defenses have done in the past, I think the Cardinals can get this done. I'm going to pick the Cardinals. I'm rooting for the Rams because I want Matt Stafford to do well. But I don't know. I think I think the Cardinals have it in, have it in them. So, when these two teams met in L.A., Arizona won 37-20. When they met in Glendale, L.A. won 30-23. And in Matt Stafford's, I think, two, three postseason games, he has been unspectacular. And that's, and that's just the truth of the matter. I mean, and you know what I think we're not talking about enough is how much this Arizona Cardinals team missed J.J. Watt. Arizona didn't lose a game with, that, with him. Once he was gone, they went into a tailspin. And when you get a guy like J.J. Watt, who is not only an, a leader with his on-field play, but is also a tremendous vocal leader as well, it riles a locker room up. And when you combine that with 
the Rams' shaky play, especially against good teams down the stretch. I think, and you can say the same exact thing about the Cardinals, but I think the return of J.J. Watt is only going to elevate them. I've got the Cardinals. Yeah, I wonder how much with Watt because I mean the guy's virtually broken every bone in his body at this point, and I wonder how much of a feel, how much of an impact he's going to have coming off IR in that situation. Um, but yeah, like you said, Liam, obviously a vocal leader has a lot of experience in this league and know what it takes. But on the field, I do wonder how much of an impact he makes just coming off this injury. What's the Cardinals' record with Zach Ertz? F- facts. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's that, that. no. Hey, weren't weren't you hyping up Zach Ertz as a future Bill last summer? Oh yeah, but then Dawson Knox became top three tight end in football, and you know, I, here we are. I mean, it's the fact of the hey, matter. I'm sure I'm sure you would have taken. I'm sure you would have taken both though. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. All right, moving on. BT reads Philadelphia Eagles fly, fly, fly <laughs> into Tampa Bay to take on the Buccaneers Sunday at one o'clock p.m. Tampa Bay is an eight and a half point favorite, second largest spread out of any game this weekend for all you betting folks out there. He who gambles lives in shambles. Facts. <laughs> um, I look, Eagles money line is great value. I'll tell you that much. It's like plus three thirty is what I got it at. That's triple your money for this game is a stupid value. Look, plus three, yeah, plus three, plus three ten according like 10 to ESPN. To, ten to twenty mile per hour wind. What did you say, Liam? Plus three ten according to ESPN. So it's moved. It's moved down since I saw it. Um, the conditions are not going to be good. It's going to be raining. It's going to be windy. And the Eagles run the football extremely well. And they picked that up like halfway through the season. They got bullied by the fan base into running the football. And they have done it extremely well. And I don't see any reason to get away from it. And you can talk about how good Tampa Bay's front is, but they're hurt. I think they're getting Levante David back. Maybe not. Jason Pierre-Paul, explosive player, but I don't know how much of an impact he makes. Um, look, this, this Eagles... Seagulls running game I stopped the, the New Orleans Saints defensive front which was the best in football at the time it probably maybe it was at the end of the season so if the Eagles stick to that they have a chance to win this football game Tampa Bay is a mess Antonio Brown jogged off the field and threw his gear into the stands Mike Evans is labored Chris Godwin's out so they're not going to be able to throw the football they were the way they were able to in the first meeting of these two teams. So I'm going to do it. I'm taking the Eagles. You can call me a homer. I don't care. I put money on it. So I need them to win, but I think they have a good chance to win the game more than people give them credit for. Liam hop off the zoom for just two seconds while I say this. Um, I would never bet against Bill Belichick or uh, Tom Brady. Um, So the Buccaneers are going to win this game. I don't care how they do it. I look, I'm rooting for the Eagles for you. BT. I, I want, I want, I want them to win for you. It's Tom Brady. I have seen him do what he has done in the past. The the six Super Bowl banners that Liam stole to get on this Zoom call are oh. because of him. So that's all I'm going to say. He's good. never run into the wagon that is Nick Sirianni, though. We have to consider that. <laughs> he hasn't. No, I'll, he has not. I'll actually start by saying I'm kind of rooting for Philly, too, solely based off of the reason that after Tampa won the Super Bowl that last year, people were saying, Oh, it was all Brady in New England. Belichick's actually not that good of a coach, and I'm just sick of people doing that. So I'm, so I mean, and I agree, I agree with you, Braden. I think people are giving the Eagles less of a chance than they actually do have. I mean, Jalen Hurts has grown tremendously over the course of the season, but um, um, um. and the fact that Tampa will be without not only Chris Godwin but Antonio Brown after that broke out a few weeks ago, 
adds another layer of complexity to this game, but Joe said it best. You don't bet against Brady. I did it, and I'd do it again. And I've got Tampa Bay. That's fine. They just count, they just count out the Eagles, bro. I mean, I count out the Eagles. I count out the birds. Uh, you know. Fly um, Eagles fly on the way to a first-round exit. Excuse me, on the road to a first-round exit. Easy. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> All right, well... Pooch and I have been dreading this, but it's time to talk about the elephant in the room. Saturday, 8.15 p.m. It is going to be approximately 2 degrees in Orchard Park, New York. No snow, I believe. 10 10 mile per hour wind. So not that extreme. But it is going to be frigid when New England and Buffalo go go head to head. I want you guys to talk first. I want to be the rubber match here. (laughs) Go ahead. Oh no! Hey, please, no, no, no! I, I invite you to go first. I, I insist. I insist. Okay, it is your show. I insist. Um, so I'm gonna talk about like the weather first. Like, uh, it, it's like talking about Syracuse weather. Everyone knows the Syracuse weather sucks. Everyone knows the weather in Buffalo sucks. The thing is, too, is that this Bills team, not all of them are from Orchard Park in West Seneca in North Tonawanda. They're from Fireball, California. Diggs played at Maryland. These guys come from the south. They don't like the cold just as much as anybody else, just as much as Buffalo people hate the cold. So the weather, I whatever. I will say this. Um, what happened in week whatever, Monday Night Football, when the Patriots played in Buffalo, that was not football. That was some variation of the sport of football. Football in its purest form, Joe. Exactly. It was, it was football when they didn't know that arms could move like this. And it was a brutal, brutal showing. And in honesty, by both sides, the Patriots busted out one play and won the game. That's not how a team should win because the Bills defense played well in that game. Yeah. The Bills offense never had their opportunity. So so credit, New England won the game. Sure. Buffalo goes to New England with a division on the line, and they got the job done. Yeah. They played a very great style of football Got out to an early lead. Uh, forced I, Matt Jones to throw the football. Isaiah McKenzie, dude. McKenzie played well. Now Beasley has taken over most of the slot responsibilities again. So we don't know where he's got the slot. But Buffalo did what they had to do. After Bill Belichick said after the first win that, oh, they know none of our passing plays. And the Bills did the job against the pass. The weather's going to be bad. It's not going to favor... The Bills, it's not going to favor the Patriots, but the Bills are tested. The Bills have been doubted on. And we're not? And we haven't been? You guys had like a seven-game win streak, and they said you guys were the best team in the National Football League. So I'm not really counting you guys to be doubted on. I'm saying you guys are a little fluffed up. The Bills, every time they lose, are doubted on. They're all, they're not this team. Josh Allen's not this quarterback. I will say this, the Patriots... They turned this around. They did the right job. But you got to play the best to be the best. And you're going to Buffalo, a Bills squad that went to the AFC title game last year, that started off the season hot, had some bad losses in between then, and won this division for the second straight year. Home playoff game in Western New York. Bills Mafia will be there. I have confidence that the Bills will be able to get this job done because the Bills have seen the Pats twice this year. They lost to them. They beat them with their great stuff. And now, in this climate where you know the Pats love running the football in this bad weather, 
Stack the box, why don't you? And force Mac Jones to throw. If that is the defensive game plan for the Bills, the Bills will move on. I don't know who they'll play after that, but I have confidence that because Buffalo is playing at home and they can they know what's already happened at Highmark Stadium, I think the Bills get this job done. And they do their best to ease whatever happened over the last 20 years. First of all, I want to lead with, I don't care what the conditions are. The fact that there were tickets on the open market for a playoff game going at just $25 is downright inexcusable. I'm sorry. Have you ever been to Highmark Stadium when it's single-digit weather? I have not, and I would love to go one day. It is it's, the worst experience. It's about an eight-hour drive from Rhode Island. Like, you couldn't – I guess you could pay me to go to that game, but yeah. it's not It's not fun to wear five layers and stand out in that upper deck. It's not fun. I mean, for the playoffs, though <laughs> – all right, can, but move, watch it from the house, man. It's different. Moving on, I mean, you said you said that first game. I mean, it was you have to play to your conditions, and the conditions definitely favored New England style of play more so than Buffalo's. I mean, New England is more of a running team, whereas I'm gonna be honest, I think Buffalo's running game outside of Josh Allen just is below league average, and I don't think you would disagree with that because don't get me wrong, Josh Allen is a tremendous. Running no, I don't. He's no running back. He's a tremendous running quarterback, but when you stack up Devin Singletary and Zach Moss next to Damian Harris, I would probably take Damian Harris. And, and you know, that second game in New England, I mean, there were some questionable calls, but Buffalo came into New England and beat Stop. us. Stop with that. Hey, no, I was going into Buffalo. You beat us, plain and simple. You beat us, plain and Thank simple. You. There were Thank questionable you. calls, but you beat us. Stop it. Thank you. <laughs> And Isaiah McKenzie had the game of his life. It drove me bonkers because I believe Josh Allen threw to him on third down and 10 twice. And if it were Stephon Diggs or Cole Beasley, all right. But Isaiah McKenzie, all credit to him, but J.C. Jackson got to make that play at least once. And I said it before with the Arizona game, a road team has come into a road in divisional round games between two interdivisional teams. The road team has won the last three, and I think it's like seven of the last eight. And I don't know if either of you saw a picture on Twitter of Bill Belichick wearing a hoodie with the words Danger Zone on it. If that doesn't spell... That's real. Sorry? <laughs> Is that real? Yes, it's 100% real. If that doesn't spell, oh God, I don't know what does. What is he lining up under center? Like, Bill's <laughs> going in the game. Wardrobe choice has no effect on the game whatsoever. I think that either of these two teams could win. The last it's time, either, either team could win. You're making a good point. Ah ha 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 ha. No, I'm saying like it, I'm. But my point is, is that it's fifty fifty. It's not like fifty fifty. I think what? so. Hmm. But when you factor in Belichick versus Sean McDermott. The last time they played in a crazy weather condition like this. Why are we doing this whole head coach comparison? Because it's important to the game, is it not? I think Mac Jones versus Josh Allen is a more important conversation in the game than the head coaches. Is that well, me? But, I disagree. Yeah, we're going to have to agree to disagree there. But we've got the playoff history. We've done it before. I know we can do it again. And Wait. I'm... Yeah. He lines up out wide, I think. I'm going with New England. Liam's lining up a tight end today. 
Oh yeah. Um, now that spells that spells. Oh my god, that spells. <laughs> I'd be scared. I don't want to see Liam Griffin out wide. No. All right, hey, so you guys pe people don't realize how good I was in fourth and fifth grade in the Southwest Football League. People forget. Thanks. Um, all right, you guys both picked your own team. I can't say I'm shocked, but I got to be the deciding factor here, and I'm happy about it. And I think going into the season, I expected the Bills to win the first one, and then the Patriots to win the second one. And obviously, that first game that's was that not. Can I interrupt here? Game. Can I interrupt um, here? What? Be told, that's what I expected too. Yeah, because I think Josh Allen is talented enough to win the Bills the first game, and then I think Bill Belichick figures it out the second game. But it didn't really happen that way. It was the first game was just completely out of the ordinary and was whatever you want to call it, but just wasn't football the way it's played today. And the second time around, it was that. So in a way, I kind of view that as the first real meeting between these two teams. Obviously, a football game was played the first time. Obviously, there was a winner and there was a loser. But first true meeting between these two teams. So I'm sticking with that point in that I think Bill Belichick goes out and figures out Josh Allen in the fact – because the fact of the matter is Josh Allen has lost his team some football games this season. He's been fantastic at points, but he's – whatever you want to call it, tried to do he's too much. He's in football games. I'll add that too. He's done both. I said it. He's won his team games and he's lost them games. He's – Put them in some very bad positions, and I think that is gonna is what's gonna happen this time around. I think Bill Belichick goes back like this is the greatest coach of all time. At the end of the day, I think we all can agree on that. And Josh Allen is uber talented, but I think Bill Belichick is gonna make him uncomfortable and force him to make some throws that he probably shouldn't. So I think the Patriots get it done. Woohoo! Let's go! Sorry, Joe. I know it kills you. <laughs> And don't stand up right now. Just keep sitting I, down. I wouldn't I, be surprised I, if the Bills win it. No, that not a lie. But, but hey, uh, how far is the drive between Buffalo and Philly? Beat to read, and don't be surprised if you've got an angry man outside your house five hours from now. I wouldn't be shocked. <laughs> no, it, it, oh, I mean, wait, no, you're in Utica. My bad, Joe. I'll say this. Look, it's, it's Bill Belichick. It's the Patriots, right? There is no team that Buffalo wants to beat more than this Patriots squad. Oh, yeah. The team that beat them at home, the only team in the division that beat them. Bills went 5-1 and one in the division this year. The Bills know this Patriot team. They know what to expect defensively. And over these last couple of weeks, the Bills have found their rhythm. They, they have sprinkled in the run when they need to. They've gotten off to slow starts. The second half is when, when the Bills get to their, their comfort zone. This is a historic matchup, and I think that Buffalo is battle-tested and ready to take on this team. If it was a team they hadn't seen before, I'd be like, oh, yeah, Bills, you know, 100%, right? They're the better team. It's the Patriots, so it does bring in that sort of uncertainty. You know, what are you going to see from the Patriots team? But watching Mac Jones throw a football is awful. <laughs> it's not fun to no. watch. And I, if you're looking at, at the quarterback as the position that helps win and that makes you win and lose games, as you said, Braden, ooh, Mac Jones ain't the guy. And, and if they got to run the football, they got to run the football. I'll football. say right now, Josh Allen is a better quarterback than Mac Jones. But I'll also say that Bill Belichick is a better head coach than Sean McDermott. So passing offense, the edge goes to Buffalo. Rushing offense, the edge goes to New England. Front but set. Barely. But barely. Oh, God, really? Barely. barely. Josh Allen is one of the best running quarterbacks in the league. Yeah. And he makes I think if you're looking strictly running backs, of course, it's the Patriots. Yeah. But Josh Allen you, saves the rushing attack. He when does. you look at front seven, I give the Patriots a slight edge. When you look at secondary, I give the Bills a slight edge. 
maybe a little bit more because that combo of player and hide is what? on that combo. You said, you said, I said I give the, I said I give the Bills the edge in the secondary. Front seven. You yeah. Said the yeah, I did. I the did. Number one defense in football. Yeah. Is New England Patriots. I know. And the Bills have a significant linebacker core and a pretty solid pass rush. And Your nose don't... tackles are probably the best, better the position than the Bills have. You Other do... than that, I don't really see a. I mean, who? What linebacker on Buffalo is better than Matt Judon? Matt Judon's great, but Trey Edmonds and Matt Milano together are dangerous. Okay, and okay, but and then I think the loss of Tre'Davious White has hurt Buffalo. I'll give you that. No, it hasn't. No, it hasn't. Oh, he's Trey White's great, but Dane Jackson has filled that spot very well, very well. <sighs> you hear this guy, Braden Reed? He really just compared Dane Jackson is his name to Tre'Davious White, I'm not, I'm one of the top cornerbacks in football. No, no, no. Trey it White certainly sounded like you were football. What I'm saying is that Dane Jackson stepped up into that role and has done a phenomenal job. I'm not saying he's an all-pro corner. I'm saying if, if he has to lock down Nikhil Harry, I'm not entirely scared. Oh, no. no Nikhil like, Harry will not see a single snap tomorrow night. All right. All right. I'm done. I'm off my soapbox. All right. BT Reeves just sitting here loving every minute of this. I'll let you guys go at it. I'm just chilling. All right. But wrap it up. Look into middle February. Super Bowl 56 will be played in L.A. Probably. Who, who's playing in it? Who's winning? Um, I got Green Bay and I got Cincy. I think Green Bay is going to be a very tough out. Green Bay is Aaron Rodgers is one of the few players in football where I like block out my day just to watch him. That isn't on my own team. It's just such a fun team to watch, and I know they've had their struggles in the past few years, um, specifically last year and just coming up short in the conference championship game. But I think this is the year they get it done. And Cincinnati is H O T hot. I think I spelled that right. Joe Burrow is playing fantastic. This whole team as a whole has just really figured it out down the stretch. So I think they hit that Lamb Griffin gritty all the way into the Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I like the Bengals, so that's a, a good pick. I mean, when I when I when when we started watching the season, I had Bills-Rams in the Super Bowl. Homer pick, of course. But the Bills were in the AFC title game. I was like, sure, why not give them that extra win? It's not fun to do that. I mean, like, I could pick the Bills to go to the Super Bowl, but, like, that's not fun. Um, and I'm not doing it to cover my own ass if the Bills lose. I'm just saying it's not fun to pick my favorite team. So uh, I agree with the Packers. I mean, they're, the fact that the NFC has to go through Green Bay is very difficult. Unless they have to play Tampa Bay again, then it could be you know, a little bit of a question mark. But um, I do like the Packers because they have home field advantage. If the Titans get Derrick Henry back, look out. Uh, is, is he back for sure, 100%? I don't know if he is. I don't know for was. sure, but yeah, odds are pointing so. in that direction. Okay, yeah. so if he comes back, cool. But you know, the Titans' defense is sort of up in the air. I think it's Packers Chiefs. I think the Chiefs are 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 hot. They have they've figured out their problems on defense, and we all know about that offense and KC being very creative, very magical. I like Chiefs Packers Super Bowl. I wanted that to be the Super Bowl last year, um, and we were kind of robbed of having a Mahomes Rogers battle in the regular season because of. Uh, Rogers' whole COVID issues. So, um, yeah, I'm going to pick the Chiefs in the AFC and the Packers in the NFC. Um, I'm, I've also got Green Bay coming out of the NFC. I think Rodgers is going to be playing for revenge, especially if he comes up against Tampa in the NFC title game. And so then, this is the way they make it now. We just jinx them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess so. And then in the AFC, we're act, I'm acting under the assumption that Derrick Henry will be 100%. And unless I'm mistaken, Mahomes is 0-2 in 
Tennessee in his career. So if we're acting under the assumption that he will go to Nashville for the AFC title game, and granted that's a big assumption because I could very easily see Tennessee losing to Cincy or New England or even Vegas, but I'm I'm putting my money on King Henry. I think he is out for blood, especially after what happened against Baltimore last postseason. Green Bay, Tennessee in the Super Bowl. Give me the Packers to win, though. Oh, I didn't pick my Super Bowl winner. Um, well, because Liam picked the Packers, I'll take the Chiefs. Oh, of course you will. I'll go, I'll go Packers. No sturdy in uh, L.A. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been probably my favorite NFL playoff episode of all time and couldn't have thought of two better guys to get the job done pooch bt reed you were both fantastic thanks for having us man yes sir for brayden reed joe puccio liam griffin here follow us on twitter at full cp podcast that's f-u-l-l-c-p podcast and on instagram sorry it's not a half court trap folks and on instagram at full court press podcast and if you want to be sitting in bt reed and pooch's chairs get in contact with me We'll make it happen. Schedule is full for next week, though. Josh Golden will come oh, on to, re- Bills. to recap Bills Patriots preview division weekend. It's going to be awesome. We'll see you then.